ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are finishing up the Psalms. What's funny to me is that I have mixed emotions as I write. I'm excited that we have finished and are getting closer to the New Testament, and I'm a bit sad because I'm feeling like I'm saying goodbye to a friend. Something to think about, some Christians read one proverb and five psalms every day in order to stay in the wisdom literature, which means they read both the proverbs and the psalms every month. I haven't done that in years because of focusing on my Sunday school lessons or the things that I'm teaching, but maybe I'll try that again here soon because of our reading through the Psalms has brought me great comfort, and I hope it has for you too. So, here we go. I have quoted and referenced W. Robert Godfrey's book, Learning to Love the Psalms, quite a bit because he explains the organization of the Psalms. Now let me say again, theologians debate on if there is even any organization to how the Psalms are put together. But I think Godfrey is on to something, even if I don't fully agree with him. We have seen that all five books start with a personal psalm and a corporate psalm, and that each book ends with a praise. What we see at the end of the whole book of Psalms is that we have a grand praise at the end of the book, five psalms of praise. As Dr. Betts said, it's like the Hallelujah Chorus. Psalms 146 through 150 all start with praise the Lord, and in Hebrew that's Hallelujah. One thing Godfrey points out is that the first two psalms of the whole book are anonymous, and they are sort of an introduction to the psalms, and then they go into the psalms of David. The book of psalms ends with psalms of David and then five anonymous psalms as the conclusion to the book. To me, that clearly shows organization and purpose in the placing of the psalms, even if we don't fully understand it. Godfrey goes even further and says that the five praise psalms at the end correlate to the five books of the psalms. At first, I was not so sure if I agreed, but I'm beginning to see his point. Just a reminder, ladies, don't take someone's word for it. Test the spirits. See if you agree or disagree with every theologian or teacher or pastor. For it is the spirit of the Lord that will guide and teach you all truth. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 13. So, Psalm 146, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's a personal praise. In this psalm, we see a do not, a negative Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation, because he dies. Who are we to trust in? The God of Jacob, the Lord, his God. This God made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. This God keeps faith and his truth forever. He executes justice, gives food, sets prisoners free, opens the eyes of the blind, raises up those that are bowed down, loves the righteous, protects the stranger, supports the fatherless and the widow. 
This psalm is similar to Isaiah chapter 35 verses 4 through 6. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 35 in Luke chapter 4 verses 17 and 19. And Jesus says, these are all the things that I do. I open the eyes of the blind. I raise up the dead, etc. Then the other negative in this psalm says, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. It is the Lord who reigns forever, not princes. Your God, O Zion, O Jerusalem, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, Godfrey's title to book one is The King's Confidence in God's Care. Do you see God's care in this psalm? I do. He cares for the lowly and the faithful. But it's also clear he does not care for the wicked. Psalm 147, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Here the psalmist praises the Lord because he builds up Jerusalem, verse 2. He gathers the outcast of Israel, verse 2. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts and names all the stars, which shows his strength and his understanding. He lifts up the afflicted and he brings down the wicked to the ground. Then in verses 7 through 10, we are to sing with thanksgiving because the Lord provides. We also see that the Lord does not delight in the strength of the horse or in the legs of a man. And then verse 11, the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. Again, that loving kindness is his hased. It's relational love that's filled with mercy. Then verses 12 through 19, in this corporate psalm, we see who is to praise the Lord? Jerusalem, Zion, Jacob, and Israel, because the Lord has fought for them and blessed them. Then verse 20, he has not, another negative word, he has not dealt this way with any other nations. And as for his ordinances, they have not known them. This reminds me of what Dr. Bett said in the Old Testament class. The Jews never spoke negatively about the laws of God because the Lord made it clear to them who he was and what he expected. They never had to guess what would appease their God like other nations. And because of that, the nation of Israel can praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Godfrey calls book two, the king's commitment to God's kingdom. And I can see that as well in this psalm. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Verses 1 through 6 is a call for the heavens to praise the Lord. The heights, angels, hosts, sun and moon and stars, the highest heavens and the waters above. Why should the heavens praise the Lord? Because he commanded and they were created and established. Then verses 7 through 12 is a call for the earth to praise the Lord. The sea monsters, all deeps, fire, hail, snow, clouds, and stormy winds. Then there's an added line that these are all fulfilling his word. They're doing what they were created for. Then the mountains, hills, fruit trees, and cedars, beasts, cattle, creeping things, and winged fowl. Then the kings of the earth and all peoples, princes, judges, young and old. Verse 13 says, let them, 
meaning all of them, praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above both earth and heaven. Verse 14, and he has lifted up a horn for his people. Who is that horn? What is that horn? That king above all kings, the descendant of David. Yep, it's Jesus. Verse 14 continues, praise for all his godly ones, even for the sons of Israel, a people near to him. So we see in this verse that not only the sons of Israel are included, but all saints, all who believe in the Lord, and we all are to praise the Lord. Godfrey describes book three as the king's crisis over God's promises. At first, I struggled with that, for I was focusing on the crisis, and I didn't see too much of that in this psalm. And now I am focusing on the second half, God's promises, and I see it in verse 14. And he has lifted up a horn for his people, the promise of his one and only son, a horn for his people, Jesus. In Psalm 18, verse 2, we see the Lord as the horn of my salvation. Another thing I just realized is on the altar, there were four horns that were dabbed with blood to purify and make atonement for sin. As we dive into the prophets soon, we will see horns, which represent kingdoms. And then in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 69 in the New Testament, Zechariah proclaims that the Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. And that is the birth of the Lord Jesus. So I do see God's promise in Psalm 148. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Psalm 149 praises the Lord first in corporate worship, verses 1 through 4, and then in private worship, verses 5 through 9. To begin, we are to sing to the Lord a new song. Why a new song? Because God is in the midst of doing things all the time. And in so doing, we need to praise Him. As a congregation, we are to praise Him. We are to praise his name with dancing and with instruments. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, verse 4. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Ladies, I grew up Southern Baptist. We don't dance. We don't drink. We didn't start using tambourines until the praise band started. And that caused serious problems. I had one senior lady say, the tambourine is not spiritual. I thought, but I did not say, have you read the Psalms lately? The only way I danced unto the Lord as a corporate body was at Christian concerts or women's conferences. And usually that's just sort of bopping up and down and maybe swaying left and right a little. But ladies, that is so good for the soul. So if you have a chance to go into a big corporate area like that, where the music is loud, praise the Lord and raise your hands. And the Lord takes pleasure in his people praising him. And then in verses five through nine, it's private worship. And ladies, I dance before the Lord as if no one is watching because I make sure that nobody is watching. But the Lord also takes delight in that as well. Also in verses 1 through 4, we see Israel and Zion, another name for Jerusalem mentioned. 
partly because that was where the temple, the place of worship, was located. But then in verses 5 through 9, it is the godly ones, all believers in the Lord. And we can sing for joy, even on our beds. High praises of God are to be in our mouths and a two-edged sword in our hands. In this psalm, the two-edged sword executes vengeance on the nations, punishment on the peoples, bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. Then the psalmist says, this is an honor for all his godly ones. In the New Testament, Christians are also called to battle. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, we see the full armor of God. Then in verse 17, we see that for the spiritual battle of the godly ones, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. With the word of God, we can fight the battle of evil in this world. But just like King David needed to learn to fight and get used to the armor, so must we. That's why we meditate, memorize, and read God's word. For the battle is the Lord's, not ours. There is power in the word of the Lord, not our opinions. And as Psalm 149 says, this is an honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For Godfrey Book 4 is the king's comfort in God's faithfulness. And I can sort of see that in this psalm. When we understand the battle is the Lord's and he prepares us for battle, we see his faithfulness. We see he's the one that's fighting for us. And we are comforted knowing that the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Then our last psalm, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Where do we praise him? In his sanctuary and in his mighty expanse. Basically, anywhere. Why do we praise him? For his mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. How do we praise him? With trumpet, harp, lyre, tambourine, and dancing, stringed instruments and pipe, with loud cymbals and resounding cymbals. Who praises the Lord? Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I can just hear Handel's Messiah crying out, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Then Godfrey says, Book 5 is the king's celebration of God's salvation. And this psalm is definitely a celebration. And the greatest of all of God's mighty deeds is his salvation. Through his only begotten son, Jesus, who took our sin on him when he died on the cross so that we can have his righteousness on us. That calls for a hallelujah and praise the Lord. So ladies, if you hear God's voice today, don't harden your hearts like the wicked. Instead, let's be women who praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.